be seated. As you're seated, take out your copy of God's Word and turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 will be focusing on verses 18 through 25 today. If you need a Bible, we do have Bibles available in the foyer. And uh, as you come in each morning, feel free to grab one if you need one. Uh, if you need one right now, uh, grab one and follow along with us. Um, we'll look at a couple passages, and not all of them are on the screen, so encourage you to, um, to uh, use your Bible and to follow along in that way. Um, yeah, Chrissy's announcement, very, we're excited to see, uh, it's a big step, it's one of those steps like you definitely don't go backwards from, so, so yeah, if you love that wall, say goodbye to it, because it's going to be gone next week, and it's kind of one of those big changes, but we do look forward to the time um, where we have one service meeting together. If, if you're new, you'll, um, you may not be familiar with that, but we, I mean, our vision, our hope is to continue to serve as one congregation with one service of worship. And so we're going to be moving back towards that as the Lord provides that time um, to do that again. But it's, it's, um, we're, we're excited to see a you know, big step this week as we move forward. Most of it's been invisible, but this one isn't. Uh, talking about big steps, I'd just like to share with you, my family was able to move back into our home this week. We were, yay, we're happy. We, we, um, <laughs> yeah, we're, I think we're out of our home for like 55 days or so, something like that, as we had a fire in our, we were in a hotel, uh, as we had a, a small house fire. It's surprising how long something like that can knock you out of the place. So we're, we're, we're glad to be home. Um, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be reading verses 18 through 25. We're going to look at uh, this book of Matthew, the birth of Jesus. And this one really comes through the eyes of, of Joseph and, and what's going on in God's encounter with him as Jesus was born. So let's look at Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray? Heavenly Father, as we come to this text, as we come uh, to the birth of Christ, help us both to see its significance to us and also the significance of even Joseph's life as we consider it. Father, we have our own burdens and concerns as we uh, come to this text, and we pray, Father, that not only would this speak to the propositional truth that we need to, to organize and guide our lives, but Father, also by your grace, you just Help us to reflect and consider things we're dealing with, decisions we're making, so that, Father, we can honor you in the way that we uh, consider this. So lead and guide us as we look at this today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, have you ever been asked to do something that you were really uncomfortable with, but you just knew that you had to do it? I mean, for most of us, public speaking is that, right? Maybe you were assigned it in your job or in a school assignment, and you said, I really don't want to do this. It scares me to death, but I just got to do it. I mean, we see it a lot as a church, funerals. Sometimes people are saying, I really want to honor my parent um, or my loved one, and, and I just have to speak as uncomfortable as I am with it. Might be a move across the country, starting a new job. Um, there's a lot of things that we might be uncomfortable with, uh, but we just know we need to do. This last week I saw a video of, of a bunch of Girl Scouts who were swimming in a lake, and these Girl Scouts were on a, they were swimming and they were on this pier. It was down in the south, and you'll know why in a minute, because before uh, long, the girls who were swimming in there, uh, somebody noticed there was a 14-foot alligator who was also swimming in the same lake and section by them. And so the people on the shore started freaking out, and some of the girls started freaking out. Not all of them saw the alligator. And so when some of the girls started running out of the water, those who were on the pier said, oh, all my friends are leaving me. So they jumped in the water in order to go follow their friends. But what do you see? You see one of the leaders standing up and moving in the direction between this alligator and these girls. And that kind of step, at least slowing things down enough that all the girls could give out. So it was quite a story. But, you know, we get put in spots where we're called to do something uncomfortable, but yet we know that we need to have it. Now, on the flip side, sometimes, sometimes we're nervous to do things that we don't do things that we know we ought to do. Um, one of the great tragedies of life is never enter risky or somewhat dangerous situations in ways that could help, um, help other people and would honor God. Um, there's a phrase that goes, you only live once, so, so make the most of it. You only live once, so make the most of it. But one author I read recently says, well, you only live once if you live at all. And that's because many choose a path of, of least resistance, low resistance, and while there um, are things they could do, the risks of it keep them from doing the good that they could do. Uh, there are many ways that we can simulate risk inside of our life, but actually not do anything that's really satisfying. Um, there's things like video games, social media, fantasy football, even pornography. And these things, when taken too far, you know, and when um, taken in excess, can uh, have people being less involved in real relationships, doing real things that can help others, getting real exercise, and um, things that, you know, they're things that can um, simulate reality, but they're really disconnected from it in a way that benefits others. Uh, many people choose that world because they're afraid to take risks. We need to take them. We need to stretch our trust. We take wise ones, but we, we take the ones in honor to God, in an honor to his word, where he calls us, even when they make us nervous. Now, what is it that compels us to take those risks? We might be risk averse. We might even be tempted to be selfish or self-absorbed. So why would, we, why would we do something like that? What does it take us to, to do it? As we look at our passage today, one thing we see, especially in the life of Joseph, is this call to a God-driven, uh, to enter into, to, to risk, but at the response and the promises of God. And what is it that encourages Joseph as he does this is Emmanuel, which is this promise of God 
being with us. God is with Joseph. God is with Mary. God was with his people. And as we consider our passage today, we have to consider God with us. What does he call us to do in obedience? What does he call us to do in faith? Even when times are uncertain, the uncertainty of the future, you know, what is it that we do knowing Emmanuel, God with us? So to look at this, I want to look at, uh, we have three main points, of course, um, three, three main points, looking at Joseph, the people of God, and then looking at you and I. Uh, the first one we want to look at is God with Joseph, God with Joseph, and the response of faith. So Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, is the story of Jesus' conception and Jesus' birth through the eyes of Joseph and really seeing him as also an an example of faith. If you look at verse 18, uh, verse 18 says that Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we see... um, we're reminded as we consider this, what betrothal was is that it was a formal, it was a formal relationship, but it was not a complete relationship. I mean, it was formal and official enough that in order to end it, um, it required a divorce process. But it was um, incomplete in the way that they were not yet married and they would not have yet come together physically. So they couldn't have a baby together in this way. And that was something that would actually wait until their wedding day. Now, the challenge, of course, and again in verse 18, is to see that Mary was found to be with child. Again, Mary and Joseph had not come together, and so that this child was born, was conceived in another way. And this way, we're reminded, as verse 19, or verse 18 tells us, is that that child was from the Holy Spirit. This was an act of creation that had taken place within Mary's body, not from the natural procreative process. So, you know, you have Mary's biological material and and her egg, and then you have um, God supplying the other part for the provision of a true, complete human body for, uh, for, for Jesus. And so the real miracle here is not the birth, it's the conception. And that's where the, the Bible keeps going back to. A virgin will conceive. A virgin will conceive. Um, it's, it's amazing as you see um, something happening which, which would not uh, naturally happen. This is a special providence of God at creating uh, and seeing this life to develop within her. Fully human and also fully divine. It's really important for us as we consider um, the, the person of Jesus Christ um, that he was fully divine and he was fully human as well. Uh, and that's because for him to forgive sins and to be a representative in our place, to take the place of our forefather Adam in this, he needed to be fully human. And so he was. You know, this was a, a, a true human baby born inside of him. But on the other side, we see this is the Son of God. And so uh, to pay the infinite price of sin that needed to be paid, there needed to be an infinite payment that was made. And that's what Jesus was able to do. And so it's why it's important to see that he's also the Son of God, fully God, fully man, developing within the womb of this virgin Mary. It's just a wonderful reminder that when God saw sin in the world and saw evil in the world, resolved to do something about that, is that he came into our world himself in order to deal with that. We'll talk more about that in the future. But we're reminded of it 
at this point. Now, as we look into uh, verse 19, we see the problem that it created for Joseph. Although the Bible says that this is from the Holy Spirit, Joseph would not have known that. Uh, We know that, seeing it uh, thousands of years later, once the scriptures were written um, at, at that point, but Joseph wouldn't have known it. He would have known that the baby was not from him, Um, He must have thought that it was from um, some other man that she became pregnant. And so what does Joseph want to do? Verse 19 tells us something about him, is that he's just. Verse 19 says he's just. Some of your translations might say that he is is righteous or he is good. Um, uh, One translation says he is faithful to the law. So this is a, a man who is devoted to God. This is a man who wanted to honor God in his life. Inside of his marriage, and you can imagine the, the, the way he would have felt in, in light of this surprise pregnancy, the, the feeling he'd been lied to, deceived. It looked like Mary had acted out of character, and, and there was a response which he felt was right in the eyes of God in order to do. He wasn't going to bring shame on God or even his own name in doing this. But yet, we see in verse 19, he's also guided by a sense of compassion. He genuinely cares for Mary, and he knows that her life is going to be hard um, after their separation. He doesn't want to make it worse. He doesn't want to humiliate her in front of others, and so he refuses to put her through that public ordeal. And so he, it says he decides to divorce her quietly. So verse 20 uh, tells us of God's intervention. Joseph, he, he's a man who wants to do the right thing, but Joseph also doesn't have the whole story. He doesn't see what God is doing. He doesn't see what God has already done. And he needs to see that. And so that's where God intervenes. We live in a very similar way. Uh, We need to see what God is doing. Like like Joseph, we don't always have the the full picture of what is going on. And when we don't have a full picture of what's going on, we can act hasty. When we should be acting patient. Sometimes we make decisions without getting all the facts before us or asking the questions that we need to ask. Sometimes we just need that patience of asking questions, especially when we're angry, especially when we're upset, is to make sure we, especially when somebody's offended us, sinned against God, and we need to take time just to understand, you know, what's the context of what's going on here? And we shouldn't expect an angel to come and speak to us, but God has given us his word, right? He's given us his word. There's wisdom. There's guidance in here for the problems of life. We need time to read it. We need time to prayerfully read it. We need time to consider that we principled people guided by the word that is in there. We need time to talk to other believers, to work through our decisions with them. We need time to pray. How often do we just make hasty decisions and not taking the time just to sit and to pray, to think through our decisions? We look through in the, uh, verse 19, we see uh, Joseph, verse 20 actually, as he considered these things. You know, we don't see, we see a consideration of what it is to do. He's praying about it. You can see the, the difficulty, the, the, maybe the torture that he's in, in making that decision. Sometimes as we consider these things that we have to make decisions about, God brings something to mind we hadn't thought of before. Again, we're working in God's word and understanding, asking questions to understand our situation right. So God intervenes and he does it by instructing him. We see in verse 20, God tells him to, he tells him who he is. He's the son of David, a reminder of his 
ancestry, where he's come from, what the child that he has, where his place is. He also tells him to take Mary as his wife. He's going to fulfill every duty as a husband, every, every duty as a father to this child. God tells him what name to give him, Jesus. There's a connection to Jesus' name with what he's going to do. We see that. He, verse 21 says he's going to save his people from their sins. Jesus is the form of the Old Testament name Joshua, which means Jehovah is salvation. Jehovah is salvation. There's so much that's wrapped up in the very name of Jesus, in who he is and what he's going to do, um, that it's important that he takes this name. It's the same with so many of us. Your parents gave you a name. For many of us, they gave you a name with some significance. Maybe it's the words themselves and what they mean. Maybe it's the, the, a, a person of the past that they wanted to remember or commend or, or to think about as they think about your life. And, and even your last name has some significance and background. You know, do we, do, we th- do we ask why we were given this name? Do we ask what the significance is? And, and, and as we see some nobility and some calling in it, even from God and in his provision of that name, do we see ourselves growing in those qualities? You know, as we've considered our own children's name, I'm, I'm amazed that I've seen them grow in the character of the name of which they were given. You know, do you know your name? You honor those who gave it to you by working to walk in those qualities that are there. Now, we see in verses 24 and 25 the obedience of Joseph. And we see it's immediate. It's instant, right? He follows through with what God wanted him to do. God, um, in, in selecting Mary, is also selecting Joseph. He's selecting Joseph as the father with his character, the virtue of this man. What a strong testimony about the importance and the value of marriage. As a human child, uh, this baby needed a responsible human father. A family life with a father and a mother present is critical for the stability of children. It's an assumption that God builds upon as he brings Jesus into this family. So we can think about Joseph as an example for us. You know, he's a man who loves what's right quick to obey, even when obedience is difficult, has a stable home, he's compassionate, is a loving home for the baby Jesus to grow up in. It's a place of truth. It's a place of love together with that truth. The kind of father a child needs, one who's principled to guide in truth and yet doing it with compassion. You know, what, what a picture of manhood, masculinity in this, willing to take responsibility for Mary and Jesus at the response to God's command. It's a willingness, masculine willingness to sit under God and to apply all of his strength, all of his skills, all of his energy for the good of others. We praise God for the way that Christian men do these things in the home while leading others, ministering to other boys, taking them under their wings to point them to the truth. I mean, it honors God. It builds boys up in the ways of men. So we don't know much about Joseph, but what we do know here, we, we like. These early chapters of Matthew, it's a model to imitate. All right, so that's God with Joseph, God meeting with Joseph. Um, I want to take a look at one, one passage I skipped over, verses 22 and 23, and see God and how he interacts with his people, how he interacts with his people through history. Uh, verses 22 and 23 are a prophecy um, they're the, showing that Jesus is the fulfiller of prophecy. The virgin conception of Christ is fulfill, fulfillment of an ancient prophecy that Emmanuel would come with us. God would be with us. 
Isaiah, it comes out of Isaiah 7.14. If you'd turn there, that'd be great. I don't have slides for Isaiah. Um, but I want to look at some things out of chapter 7, out of some things out of chapter 8. Because it's really interesting how this Emmanuel principle works its way out. Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8. You know, I, I read this week that, you know, the two favorite things a pastor gets to hear are the, 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 the sounds of, of crying children and of, of Bible pages turning. So I love it as you turn to Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. Um, so Matthew 20, Matthew 1.23 says, uh, God is with us. We, we, we think of that as a good thing. But it's a good thing when we receive it by faith. And that's what we're going to see. God with us is a great thing we receive it by faith. But if we're rejected, that means we're in trouble. And so as we look at a prophecy like Isaiah chapter 7 and 8, you see that there is a, that there is a, a New Testament fulfillment. We see that in the life of Jesus, right? So he was conceived of a virgin, right? We see God's hand in doing that. It was necessary for salvation for that to happen. But we also see a more immediate context, you know, hundreds of years ago before Jesus was born and where it also has a place. The ultimate fulfillment is Jesus, but there's a short-term temporary fulfillment, which was also important. That's what Isaiah 7 is about. If you look at Isaiah 7 uh, verses 1 and 2, you see that the, that this, that the chapter is about um, the reign of a certain king, Ahaz. He was king of Judah and he was under attack. Two kingdoms from the north were attacking him. One was Syria, and they were under King Rezin. And the other one was Israel, their own brothers, uh, were coming to attack them under King Pekah. And if you look at verse 3, we see that Ahaz was not a good king, but Ahaz loves his people, and so he sends Isaiah to go speak to him. And the message is in verse 4, it's in verse 7. Basically, the message is don't fear. The invasion which you're facing with these two um, armies is going to fail. In verse 7, he says that invasion is not going to stand. In verse 4, he, he even calls them smoldering stumps that he should not be afraid of. In verse 9, God commands Ahaz to stand firm. Stand firm in faith. And if you look at verse 11, Isaiah tells Ahaz to do this. He says, ask God for a sign. Ask God for a sign to show him that you're not going to lose this battle. But if you look at verse 12, Ahaz does not want to ask for a sign. He's, he sounds very pious in his answer, in fact. He says, no, he says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. You may have heard those words before, right? I mean, it sounds a lot like Jesus's words when he's being tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. It's really a response to the commands of God in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. But, but when Ahaz says it, you know, those aren't words of faith. I mean, those are words of rebellion against God. Here he has a prophet sent to him by God in order to, to say, hey, ask for a sign. Ask God for a sign. He'll, he'll, he'll show you that he's going to do this. He shows you, he's going to show you that these two armies are not going to win this battle. You know, Ahaz's rebellion is a reminder that we can know the word of God well but still not believe it. The book of James tells us that, that the, that the demons also believe, but they shudder. You know, they know the word of God, but they don't believe it, at least not savingly. We can even use uh, the word of God to justify unbelief. We're going to see that again in Matthew chapter 4, as the devil uses the word of God to tempt Jesus. 
No, we're supposed to use the word of God. They're supposed to lead us into faith, you know, into what we should be doing, not against. So Ahaz did not trust God to deliver him from his enemies. He didn't want to see God deliver him. He saw trusting God as too risky. He didn't even want to go down that route. And it's in part because he already had another plan. He already had another plan. And don't we do that sometimes before we go to the word of God, before we consider, what would God have me do? Have I prayed about this? Have I considered it? No, we've already put together our own plan to get ourselves out of trouble. What a picture of pride. Now for Ahaz, what he'd done is he was signing a treaty with the nation of Assyria. Assyria was an up-and-coming nation. It was a growing nation. It would become a very large uh, problem for them in the future. And he was... Um, why does that keep happening to me? Oh, okay, good. All right, she didn't hear that. All right. All right, so um, I, I put a clock up here, if you're also wondering. So, you know, so I, I know what time it is because I can't see that one back there. So, yeah. Um, okay, so he has this treaty, and God... Um, doesn't want to sign that. So in verse 14, God is going to give Ahaz a sign anyway. He's not going to ask for one, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. And that is where we see the virgin conception of this, uh, of this boy and a boy is going to grow up. Verse 14, again, I'm going to read 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, Ahaz. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. If you jump down to verse 16. You see something about this boy that before uh, he grows up to be too old, these two kings will already be neutralized. So all Ahaz needs to do is just wait it out, hold on, that the threat would wear off. It would require patience and trust, but he didn't need to enter in that treaty with Assyria. In verse 17, God warns him against that. You don't need it. It isn't necessary. And so while, um, and that's because Assyria might help get these two nations off their back, is that in the end, Assyria would be a way bigger problem than those two kingdoms ever could be. And they'd come, Assyria would come, but they wouldn't come in a friendly way. Verses 18 and 19 say that they will eventually invade the land. Chapter 8, verse 4, so they'll plunder their enemies. In chapter 8, verse 7 and 8, God reminds, reminds King Ahaz that you can't control floodwaters. You know, I, I saw the headline last night, in Libya, that 11,300 people had died and there's floods. I mean, that is a lot of people. We need to pray for Libya, their openness to the gospel, ministry of the church there in, in, in this Muslim country. Um, but we, we do pray for God's mercy and the spread of the gospel there. You know, but we love rivers. We love our water. We love rain. Um, you know, we love how it waters the land and gives us place to, to fish and to grow crops and, and all those things. We love our faucets inside of our inside of our bathrooms, but we don't like floods because they quickly become out of control and we don't like the flood in the side of our bathroom which causes so much damage. So these floods may come and the floods may sweep away Assyria or might flood, uh, take away Syria, I just said it, may take away, and I'm all worried, take away Syria and might take away Israel, but it would overflow. You can't control the floods. It would come against Judah and that's, exactly what happened. Judah might be temp delivered temporarily, but in the long run, they couldn't control that fate. 
they'd have the conquering Assyrians at their door. So if you jump down to Isaiah 8.8, Isaiah 8.8, he says this, and you'll notice how it ends. It ends with Emmanuel. Isaiah 8.8, and it will, be, it will sweep into Judah. It will overflow and pass on, reaching even to the neck, and its outspread wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. So it's repeated, the repeated word. But this time it's different. It's like it's a cry to God. Like, look, I have my enemies right here on the edge. Oh, Emmanuel, oh, God, have mercy. Is it too late? Is it too late for salvation? The Emmanuel principle is God is with us, what we do. Psalm 139 tells us that God is with us. You know, wherever we go, in the darkness or in the light, God is with us wherever we go. Right? The question is, is how is God with us? Do we see him in his blessing? Do we hear him in his blessing? Or do we ignore it and reject it? Eventually, we all have to deal with the Lord. With Ahaz, God came near to bless him. If just he would trust and obey. Emmanuel, God would be with him. But because he lived in faithless disobedience and trying to get out of these problems by his own power, he would know the negative consequences of his choices. He put off his problem to the future. And instead of dealing with it right now as he should, he put off the problem to the future by creating something for that future. You know, that's what tyrants do, right? Kind of creating a problem now, putting off some of the future, which is way worse. Maybe you've said, uh, you know, I'm just, this bothers me so much, I've got to deal with it now, only to realize months, weeks, years later that it's a bigger problem. There's this clip, you know, Homer Simpson as a dad is an awful father. Just to say that at the beginning, it's a, you know, kind of like it's my Ahaz example using Homer Simpson. And there's this clip of the Simpson, and it shows him being challenged by his wife. And she's saying, Homer, you need to spend more time with the kids. Someday you're going to be too old, and you're going to regret not spending more time with the kids. And he shrugs it off, and right before he drinks down a jar of mayonnaise and vodka, he says, that's a problem for future Homer. Man, man, I don't envy that guy. So right now, Ahaz, he's overcome with his problems with Assyrians and, and, and Israel. Some, but some other king is going to have to deal with Assyria. He doesn't envy that guy. He doesn't envy future Ahaz or the future, or, you know, or the future people. He's just going to do what he wants to do right now. What an unloving way to look at his kingdom. When a trial is put to them, instead of being patient right now, he pushes off to the future. Our national debt. I mean, what, what another great picture of that for our own nation. So what about you? Do you make decisions now, things that will create trials for you in the future or for others in the future? In the virgin conception of Christ, God comes near. God is with us. We call this the incarnation, right? The incarnation. God put on a human body. It's so important. Jesus could be the sacrifice. He'd be the sacrifice that would bring us to God. We have a wonderful reminder that Jesus can relate with us. He's not some distant deity on a throne, unable to relate, but as Hebrews 4.15 says, is that he is a high priest who is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. Amen. In every respect, he's been tempted as we are, it says, yet without sin. And so in his coming, we have a wonderful promise of Emmanuel. God is with us to bless us. It's something that steers our decisions. But if we know where our future is in God and is taken care of, we can be faithful right now with what we have, trusting God for the whole thing. The decision now and the future. 
But this is important, is if we reject that blessing, that life of faith, we put off our problems to the future. We can't reject God's one way of salvation and think we'll be okay. Jesus talks about this in John 3.36. Actually, um, well, John 3.36 talks about this. Talks about the significance of the coming of Jesus. This is what it says. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. When Jesus came in, he came to deal with sin. He came to provide a way of escape from the wrath of God against sin. There is a way of life through Jesus. I mean, and if we ignore that, we ignore the escape, the way out that God has given to us. We just push off something towards the future. The world tells us it really doesn't matter what we believe, but that really is not the message of Emmanuel. God has come, and through him we can know forgiveness. We know blessing. Christ Jesus died for sins. He rose again. But apart from him, we remain in judgment. And that leads to our third point, God with us. God with us in our own response of faith. And if you would, here, turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, we'll look at verses 16 and 17. Our call is to respond to what God shows us. Our call is to respond to the word of God, to the life of faith. And life of faith is even when we don't have all things figured out. If you remember what, what the angel said to Jesus, he says, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. Do not fear. You know, why does God say do not fear? If we see the times that God says do not fear, he's pointed that because there is an uncertain future. There, there, in terms of our perception of things, Joseph's perception of things, do not fear. I mean, what can happen? You know, his perception among his peers, what he's going to be asked to do, or, you know, do not fear because of this amazing event that's happened inside of her body. This is the Son of God. You know, so, you know, what things could be afraid of? But yet, right there, God says, do not fear. Because there is a certainty that is in God, even if we face uncertainty for our future, even if we don't know where things will turn out. We know there is certainty in God. Matthew 10, 28 talks about that. Do not fear when persecution is a real threat. Mark 5, 36, Jesus speaks to parents. They're fearing the death of their child. And he says, do not fear. Only believe work of God will be seen among you, and he'd raise that daughter from the dead. 1 Peter 3, 6 speaks to women in difficult marriages, um, calling them to act as Sarah, not fearing to act in faith. Do not fear. Revelation 2, 10 is a call to not fearing the oncoming suffering, which may come, but remain faithful, looking to heaven. Okay, do not fear. So there's an uncertainty, but we know the God who is certain. We know the God who is sure. We know of his steadfast love towards his people through all generations. So it's at right at this point that Joseph has to decide who he's going to trust. When people see the Christian faith and the commands of God, they think, I don't like that. I don't want that. I don't think I want that. It'll wreck my life if I start doing that. Unbelievers often think this. If I believe, my, if I believe in Christ, my friends, my family, they'll reject me. If I believe in the Bible, my colleagues will discredit me. If I go to church consistently, my children won't succeed in those weekend activities. If I tithe, I won't be able to live the life I want. If I keep my baby, I'll never be able to make it. If I don't have sex before marriage, I'll never get married. 
If I don't cut corners, my business will fail. If I become a Christian, I'll lose my friends. Right? In terms of obedience, you know, the question of the uncertainty of the future overwhelms them and leaves them in their unbelief. But we need to hear the word of God that's beyond those things. We need to hear the promises of God that's bigger than them. Emmanuel, God with us. And when we hear the gospel, it's this word of God that's what leads us to faith. God is with us. He's provided a way for life in Jesus. Just we'd see it and believe. That's what Romans 1, 16 and 17 says. He offers us so much more in Christ than what the world offers. Verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Remember what it says about Joseph? He was a righteous man. He was a just man. He wanted to please God. And he ended up trusting the word of God by faith. It's a reminder of what righteousness really is. It's responding to God by faith. It's a revelation that meant Joseph did not need to follow his preconceived notion, his preconceived action to divorce Mary. He had to respond to the knowledge that he was given by the angel. And we have to be ready to pivot to do what God says we need to do. We can build up a sense in our own pride and our own self-sufficiency to say, I know this is the way I need to go. I know this is what I need to do. And then we read God's word. We're confronted by somebody who shows something inside of our hearts. The Holy Spirit confronts us. And what do we need to do? We need to pivot. There's new knowledge that we have. We didn't have that before. And only in stubborn pride do we remind, re- remain where we were. For Joseph, when it came to a difference between his own sense of right and wrong and the conventional wisdom that led his decision-making, hearing the word of God changed that situation. He submitted his heart and his mind to the word of God. The just will live by faith. The righteousness of God is revealed by faith. If you want to know the power of God, it's a call to faith, to trust in God, what he reveals to you. You know, when you hear something from the word of God, do you respond to it? Do you act obediently in it? Are you resisting something? Joseph would be an earthly father of the Son of God. You know, without faith, that never would have happened. But through faith, he not only entered this task, but he was strongly protected the life of Christ. We're going to see that in the next chapter. Man of powerful faith. A man whose name goes down as faithful unto the Lord. What about us? What are we called to believe? We're called to a relationship of faith to Christ, the obedience of faith. And it has challenges for us, just like it brought challenges to Joseph. We see what God called Joseph to do. What does he call us to do? We're reminded that Jesus Christ came into the world. He lived the perfect life. He died on a cross to pay for sins. He rose from the dead for the forgiveness of sins. And so our call is to believe in him by faith. And as we do, he forgives us our sins and accepts us into his family. I mean, that, that, that is shaping for us. And so our, our first responsibility is not getting our life in order and then coming and then committing to follow Jesus. No, the first responsibility is to believe in Jesus Christ and then to follow wherever he takes us. We may have a pre- preconceived sense of what we need to do to follow God. 
we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the salvation is through faith in him. That's what we need to listen to. That's what we need to obey. God has done something in Christ, and he calls us to the obedience of faith. So Emmanuel, God came close to Joseph, and he responded, and God has come close to us in the person of Christ. Will you respond? Will we respond by faith? He's present, offering salvation to all who would come. How you believe will change your destiny. Will you know his grace now or trouble in your future? Emmanuel is a reminder that God is with us. The one who responds by faith, to the one who's looking for hope, to the one who's given up and making his own agenda, that is a great comfort. Have you trusted in Christ? Our Emmanuel, God with us. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are with us. Even right now, you're with us. You sent Jesus to be with us in this life, to bear our sins, to experience our trials, to reconcile us to you. Father, there, there are some here who need to know that you are with us, that you're with them. They need the hope now to act in faith. They need the hope to act now not to put off faith, though they made mistakes that they're going to regret. Father, for the one who's struggling with depression, help them know that you are near, Emmanuel, God with us. For the one who's dealing with grief, Father, help them to know that you're Emmanuel, God with us, that Christ has come to carry their sorrows. For the one stuck in sickness, Father, to know that you draw near to the brokenhearted. And Father, you're with them, preparing an eternal house in heaven. For the person who feels guilty over sin, to know Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus Christ has come into the world to save us from our sins. For the person who has a tough decision before them, Father, know Emmanuel, God with them, and to make the right decision and to do it by faith. Father, for the person who isn't a Christian, Father, to know that God has come among us. Jesus Christ was born to give life to them and to forgive them their sins, that they would come under the wrath of God, come out from there, and come into a loving relationship. Father, remind each of us that you've come near in grace. Jesus came to be God with us, and he's still with us by his Holy Spirit. And Father, by believing, help us to honor you in the way we live. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our closing hymn is from Psalm.